First piece of advice I'd give someone is make sure you understand the space you're targeting because mm. I've seen a lot of companies come up with some great tech products but they don't necessarily fly in terms of answering the questions that clients have. Um, I think anything in image recognition, facial recognition, um, linking into solid data capture is going to be big. Um, And and that's where you don't necessarily... So if you've got a technology which, for example, can code facial expressions um, or can code or recognise brands in images um, and link that into in-the-moment data capture you've got a very powerful proposition. Um, So it's anything that helps understand behaviour better as opposed to just technology for technology's sake. Real People is produced by Square Holes, an agency conducting and publishing customised explorative research on key consumer markets, customers and population segments. Square Holes also provides associated consulting and support to ignite positive business and social behaviour change. Visit squareholes.com for more. Radio, hello there. My name is Jason Dunstone and welcome to Real People, where we interview average and not so average people, academics, researchers and leading thinkers to help us better understand what real people believe and how they behave. Today we are joined by James Ferguson, the CEO of MDI, a mobile-focused research company launched in 2013. MDI is based in Melbourne with offices in Cape Town, Miami, Utah, Washington, D.C., and recently launching the European presence from London. MDI has developed and is continuously evolving its own proprietary mobile research platform and has worked with some of the world's largest consumer brands. This was a very enjoyable chat. I first met James way back in 1994 when I started my career in market research at Frank Small and Associates in Melbourne. We were both wide-eyed young researchers discovering market research somewhat by chance. It's nice to sit down 25 years and eight kids later, six of these Jameses, to chat. James has enjoyed a highly successful career in market research, including being based in Singapore for seven years in global executive roles for TNS Cantar with a focus on technology and emerging markets. We discuss James's early days as an entrepreneurial kid mowing the lawns of neighbours to buy lollies and other joys that money can buy, and that a successful career is seldom linear or predictable and it's best to just embrace the ride. James shares his perspective on the massive impact on research mobile phones have had over the past decade in the developed and developing world and how this has informed the strategy and innovation behind MDI. We hear about the story of MDI and some lessons for those seeking to build a global-facing business from Australia, including how to overcome our innate cultural risk aversion. A fascinating discussion about innovation in consumer insight, past, present and the uncertain future. Uh, Let's not waste a moment. On with the show. Hit it! That's what I'm talking about. Wait! Okay now, from the beginning. Thanks for joining us today, James. I'm going to start off with a question that we ask in all of these, so we're up to sort of quite a few. What were you like as a kid? What were you like when you were about eight? <laughs> a bit of a left ball kind of um, I was a little bit of a rebel, I think, yeah, when I was about way. eight. Um, I used to push the boundaries a little bit, quite yeah. entrepreneurial in terms of fundraising schemes, yeah. whether it be doing ob job for people or always looking for a quick buck. So what's one of the kind of um, money-making schemes? Uh, we used to you know, just go around mowing people's lawns. Yeah. Um, they got burnt a few times by people not paying us. Yeah. Um, yeah always looking to, to enhance the pocket money and then yeah. going spending it all on lollies. So what is it? So it was about the money. <laughs> <laughs> it was about the money. Yeah. How can yeah. I get more? Yeah, yeah. It wasn't the love of the lawns. Yeah, there we go. How old do you think you were when you first started kind of earning earning money? About eight or nine, yeah, I'd say. Go. So, yeah, and then... Basically, that's that's gone right through. So working, you know, I've done some weird jobs. I 
worked in a chemical factory yeah. um, in my holidays, uh, obviously bar work, worked as a rouseabout um, yeah. on a sheep property, um, mm-hmm. played a little bit of cricket in the country. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, lots of fun. Yeah. Do you, were you studious as a kid? Were you no. entrepreneurial, it sounds like? Yeah, yeah, really not studious apart from my last year at school. And yeah. Took my time going for a university. Yeah. Um, got involved in student politics and the like. Yeah. Um, Did you know what you wanted to be? No. Like? <laughs> no, no, no. no. They, they, I sort of decided I wanted to go into market research when I was an interviewer when I was studying um, business at Monash and working as an interviewer in a, um, an agency and happened to walk through the car park and just saw the cars that the um, principals drove. Um, unfortunately, market research in those days pays a lot better than it is, does now. Yeah, yeah. in <laughs> terms of the, like the, the yeah. you know, at, a, at a senior level. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. yeah, okay. Um, and so, so for some of those early jobs you had, like, so, so where you talked about some of the, the jobs that weren't in market research, what... What were they? Like? Um, yeah, I, I, were they just more money making? They were more money. Okay. So I, I worked, um, had a range of jobs, did a lot of hospitality work, um, working in nightclubs as a barman, um, working down the peninsula in pubs. Um, had a, a job when I was um, sort of selling franking machines, yeah. which, which didn't end well because it coincided with the um, launch of the fax machine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> a, a job selling offset printers. Yeah. Um, and then really looked for my career once I'd finished. So I studied part-time for a while, looked for my career once I'd finished uni, um, started off at Lockwood or um, basically um, selling door furniture yeah. um, and then fell into market research. Um, so out of uni you went and worked for Lockwood? Yep, yeah. yep. Only for a few months because I, I won a prize for international marketing and it was sponsored by a market research head under Judy Carruthers. Yeah. And she basically called me after three months and, and got me a job with a company called Worthington Damasio, yeah, who yeah. I think is still around as Damasio Research. Yeah, okay. With Peter Worthington and Kim Damasio from there, went to Frank Smalls, where I met you. Yeah, yeah. And then to TQA, which later became Ipsos, then back to TNS and did a, a range of roles at TNS from heading up their tech um, business here to regionally, then heading up emerging markets globally heading up tech globally and finally digital globally before yeah, wow, starting okay. MDI. Yeah. So you went to you went to uni at ANU, did you? I went to ANU for three years. Yeah. Didn't do very well academically there. <laughs> great life lessons. So it was um, learned how to hold a beer. Um, yeah. But great life lessons. I was um, involved in the inter-college politics. Um, I was on the union board of management um, so really learning how to run a business, if you like, yeah. um, but didn't have a lot of time to go to lectures and I was also working in a nightclub at the time, so really um, bombed out and, and left there before I was um, asked to leave and, <laughs> and then got into Monash part-time doing marketing, working as a sales rep during the day yeah, okay. and then transferred across to full-time and, and did quite well. I, I managed to apply myself at Monash yeah. and, and stay when on the straight narrow. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, what's like sort of a, a geez, like a, sort of similar to time to, to me, but sort of you know, twenty five or so years in research? Is that right? yeah, that, that'd be about right. I think I started th- in ninety three. Yeah, yeah. So, so, what's your like observation of kind of the you know, career highlights or sort of the ups and downs? Sort of before we got started, you talked about it's a little bit. Or yeah, the start of the interview you talked about how it's a little bit different to what it was. Yeah, I, I guess for me. My career in research has really been right place, right time, because like yours, it coincided with the start of our careers coincided with the mobile phone becoming a mainstream tool, Mm. even if not its common guise, and being able to understand people's behaviour on that device and how it's evolved has really set me in play. Um, In terms of career highlights, I guess um, being an equity partner in an agency before I was 30... Um, at TQA was was nice, um, and they sold out, didn't they? And you, they well, yeah. I, I didn't. I, I left before they sold out. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I didn't do too well on the deal, but but it, it was nice. And look, I, I owe a lot to Tony Quint, yeah. um, and also to a lady who you know well, Chris Rinovich, who okay, was probably yeah. my first mentor. So working with her was a real highlight, um, and then basically going back to TNS, and, and really by then that was a, a corporate 
agency and experiencing the corporate side, going through the WPP buyout, working in probably, you know, travelling to over 40 countries for work was a real highlight. And you were based overseas for a while. Yeah, I was in Singapore for nine years, um, which was, you know, Singapore's an interesting place to live, um, but the job was great, like just travelling around the region. Interesting Um, in what way? uh, Just experiencing different cultures, um, overseeing global projects, selling multi-country projects, um, because you're working on very, very much of it, rather than a local yeah, domestic yeah, yeah. project. Yeah, most, most of my work projects. was commissioned out of Europe, yeah. out of China, Korea, Japan, and the um, west coast of the US. Yeah. So travelling to all those markets, yeah. um, becoming a bit of an expert on how people use mobile phones across yeah. and in those developing countries as well. Yeah, wasn't it? exactly. Yeah. Which, which is really sort of informed what we're trying to do now to a certain extent. Yeah. And also it was, it was a great community. TNS back in the day was, it was an awesome place to work, yeah. very entrepreneurial, um, great people, um, thought leaders. Entrepreneurial in terms of like encouraging uh, staff to be entrepreneurs? Is that- well, in, 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 in trying new ideas and yeah. trying new methodologies and, and really not, not being happy with the status quo. Yeah. And, and that's something that we've tried to continue on through MDI. Yeah. Yeah, and I, and, and, I, and I guess that's sort of having it so when the businesses work back in the day, it was, I guess it was an exciting times of just working so you can actually yeah. play with the entrepreneurship, can't yeah. you, and, and the innovation. Just before I move on to MD, MDI, just observations of, like, big global agencies versus working in boutique agencies. What, what, do, you kind of, what do you kind of see as the, I don't know, the pros and cons yeah. simply of, of each, each? Well, I guess the pro of the global agency is they're solid, Mm. They can be trusted. They take a few risks, um, and they've, they've got multi-country coverage. Though that advantage has been dissipated significantly. Like, you know, any boutique agency now, if they think the right way and have the right contacts, can conduct global projects. Yeah. Um, oh, so it used to be for a global project. Used for, to be the field. Yeah, yeah okay. whereas now you don't need a face-to-face field force in, in yeah. most markets, particularly with the advent of the mobile phone. Um, the advantage of a boutique or a smaller agency um, is you're nimble. Um, you've got a low overhead structure, yeah. so you can be extremely profitable. Um, you can invest in research on research to try new things, and you can change your direction um, to suit the market yeah. at the time. Yeah. So it's you know a lot more fun. Yeah. The the downside is as a principal, you're always um, making sure you're still in business. Yeah. Okay. Do you see? I guess though, I, I kind of sometimes look at those those, those big global groups. And there's, there's obviously those positives of them today, but I, I wonder sometimes whether they've got more and more pressure to, to turn, turn over more and more money and that perhaps makes them potentially less innovative. They're, like on the outside, they look innovative, but they're... Yeah. Like I say, Kantar, I understand, being, being yeah. sold off from WPP is probably an indication that maybe there's oh, changing times or... Well, certainly the, the, the number one thing with any company that's a listed company and all the global agencies are either listed or or owned by venture capitalist firms, um, is that, you know, you've got to show growth. Um, If you're owned by a VC firm, it's on the top line. If you're owned by on the shareholders, it's on the bottom line. Mm. Um, And there's a lot of people managing that growth, which makes profitability harder. And also, um, you've got a lot of money invested in legacy technologies, such as access panels anchored in PCs as opposed to mobiles, which means that often you can't provide as cost-effective solution as your smaller or as innovative solutions as your smaller competitors because you've got to keep feeding the legacy Mm. as opposed to investing and potentially cannibalising it. Yeah, and I wonder whether back in the early days of some of the big global groups, they could be innovative because it was all by and large working and they were making good profits yeah so you can when you're making a profit and your board can say well you're making a profit you can have some play money as well yeah. where and maybe it gets I'm, I'm, I'm kind of observing that maybe it gets tighter and they go well geez we're not making the profits we really want to and you want to be innovative oh shit let's let's tighten up yeah. a little bit where if you're a smaller dynamic agency like yourselves 
you can kind of go, we can play with it a little bit and maybe kind of wear the pressure and stress of being yeah. innovative, but at least you can go, no, we're, we're doing that for the medium to long term. Is that... Yeah, I think, I think the, the big agencies were profitable, a lot more profitable, say, 15 years ago than they are now. And, and one of the key things was that is they controlled completely their... Um, uh, supply line, so they they had their their field forces across multiple countries, which was a point of differentiation, and no one could compete with them across multiple countries. In terms of like doing face yeah. to face interviewing yeah, exactly. and interviewing, yeah, and, okay. and and those barriers of entry have completely dissipated yeah. now. And in fact, you know, often it's third party panel companies that hold that power yeah. and are the most profitable people in the industry. Yeah. As such, um, it's it's much more of a level playing field. Yeah. But the larger agencies still carry significantly higher overhead structures, which compromises their ability to price and price profitably. Yeah. And so MDI, you started... Six years ago now. Six years ago, yeah. Yeah. And and you've really started off um, with a very much of a global... a global strategy, so you didn't like that. That's my answer. Yeah, I, I guess the, the, the history it was quite interesting. Our first hire, apart from myself, and I was based in Melbourne, was someone in South Africa. Okay, um, is that somebody you'd worked with? In yeah, the past yeah, yeah, so someone I'd worked with at TNS. And, and the reason for that is like in my final few roles at TNS, my, my team was very remote, so I was based in Singapore, I had two direct reports from memory in Australia two in the UK, one in the US, and one in South Africa. Yeah. And so it came a second nature, working across time zones and flexing those to, to deliver what we had to deliver. Yeah. Um, so for me, hiring someone in South Africa sounded, sounds quite yeah. ballsy, but it was, it was almost um, a, a second nature. Mm. And so we, we very quickly established our, our presence here in Australia with a couple of people, and in South Africa with a couple of people, and we're lucky enough to, to win a significant contract over there. Um, we also then, you know, South Africa is a very similar research market in terms of skill set to Australia and New Zealand, right? okay. but runs off a, a cost base, the equivalent to the Philippines and India. Right. So, you know, we, we put a lot of our back of house, our DP resources there, so we controlled them. But it was like we were outsourcing for a cost the price in terms of, yeah. of staff and yeah. infrastructure. Yeah. Exactly. So, and then um, we won some work in Latin America. So we, we needed to put someone in the US. Um, as soon as you do that, you've got to establish an entity. And, and so now, probably our. our like a legal business entity yeah. in the US, yeah. Yep. Yeah. So about a year and a half ago, we, we opened up MDI or Mobile Digital Insights um, in the Americas. And, yeah, we've now got four or five people there um, servicing clients, you know, across the, the West Coast, East Coast and down into Latin America. Yeah. So we've got a number of Hispanic speakers or Spanish speakers um, servicing our Latin American clients, yeah. um, doing a bit of Hispanic work in the US. Yeah. And then um, a, a couple of um, English speakers servicing the, the English part of that market. Yeah. And... Just two weeks ago, we put our first person on in Europe. So we're, we're looking for a similar growth strategy in Europe to what we've had in the US. Yeah. Are you in, in Asia as well? Um, not at the moment, no. We, we've got, um, we, we, we did have some people in Thailand, but decided just from a, a, a compliance cost, um, it was easier to, to run Asia for now being small and nimble out of Australia and yeah. have people travel up. Yeah, okay. um, we do a lot of work out of Asia, particularly Southeast Asia, um, but most of that's through our, our um, mobile platform um, and, and run out of Australia. Then engaging local people to yeah. um, do the um, foreign language or the non-English language components. Yeah, yeah. But, and, and, but but certainly it sounds like the, the core of your strategy to start with was um, it's a it was a global strategy to kind of build build that brand and that that business. Beyond yeah. Australia, beyond. So yeah, your yeah. Australian stuff are mainly in, in Melbourne, is that right? Yeah, yeah so yeah. In Melbourne, we've got one, one person in Brisbane. Yeah. Um, and, but mainly in Melbourne, and the, the, the key there was that's where we want to live. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So. And, and obviously the, and another part of the core part of the business strategy from the start was about tech and having a tech platform. Yeah. And is it, that's, that's fair, isn't it? Yeah, so you spent a 
couple of years at the start or a few years at the start developing so, so what we did, no, we, we actually took an, an interesting approach where we, we our first platform was basically a chat platform where we acquired the market research rights to it and then wrote some code to you know push surveys out through it. Um, that that platform became antiquated quite quickly and the, the costs of running it from a cloud perspective became prohibitive. We then did something similar with a more advanced platform. And then after about three and a half years, we were in a position where we knew what we wanted to build and we knew where, I guess, from a, a technology perspective, the points of difference could be that would um, stand the test of time. And I think it, it and, and also inform good market research. Yeah. Because unlike, unlike most tech market research companies, we're market researchers at heart who know a little bit about tech yeah. as opposed to techies at heart who know a little bit about market research. Yeah, okay. And, and so the, the, the key is we built our own platform and launched it about a year ago. And since then, we've seen a real upturn in our business. Yeah. Um, and, and that's the core product you're selling. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so our, our, our core offering is in-the-moment measurement yeah. on mobile phones. And we've got a, a platform which um, has a chat-based application where we can deploy surveys. It's got a number of menus where they can access studies, but we can also communicate through them in chat and conduct both quantitative and qualitative research. And then sitting on the back of that is a really integrated research management system um, which talks to our survey platform, sends out automatic reminders and takes a lot of the legwork out of running intensive um, measurement studies. So, so multiple element measurement studies, whether it's a consumption diary, looking at a, a purchase or acquisition journey, yeah. um, etc. Yeah. So would you, do people get invited via a panel or do they sort of, um, it just depends on the situation? We, we, source, we source participants or consumers from... Any way we, we do a fair bit of social media um, advertising and marketing. Yeah. Um, so you'll recruit them out there. there yeah, so we'll, we'll recruit them through our social media strategy. Um, we occasionally work with panel providers. Um, we also, um, in emerging markets, rely still heavily on face to face recruitment because often some of the studies there we really need to have um, social economic status yeah. representation, so we need the face-to-face -face component. Um, but so you'll have the device, like, you'll use the device? So we use a recruiter. A recruiter. And, and typically most of our projects um, are looking at the, pro the proportion of the population who have smartphones. Yeah, okay. Um, and in emerging markets, we'll... Um, reward them with airtime. Yeah, okay, to, so there's right. not a barrier. So you'll give them a device, will you? Not the device. We'll give them the airtime. Air so, okay. so buy the plan for them. Yeah. Um, okay. But where they don't, so where they're at the bottom of the pyramid, we do have a hybrid methodology which relies on the interviewer having the device. Yeah. So, so, so your your um, I guess your different markets globally, they're they're different clients finding your platform often and going, that feels a need that we yeah. we didn't have. There's, there's not another platform that does that. Does that yeah, at, at the moment, I, I, I believe, and, and, and certainly a lot of our clients believe, that we've got something unique yeah. in that it's uh, a mobile platform that enables very accurate consumption measurement, um, but also um, a hybrid of quantitative and qualitative research yeah. and takes the time and man hours out of compliance which obviously removes a lot of the cost from the projects yeah okay what are some examples of of how different clients apply it apply it yeah, yeah. well there's lots we have done a lot of work in the qsr space so yeah. fast food um where we look at um people's eating behavior out of home yeah, okay. So what they're buying from, whether it be a fast food restaurant, traditional street stalls or hole in the walls, or um, uh, um, you know, casual dining restaurants or even fine dining restaurants, and, and look at opportunities and what's changing in the market. Mm. So like a you know, sort of diary-based U&A study. Um, we've done a lot of work looking at beverage consumption yeah. in different markets, so taking a representative sample and, and working out 
what the trends are, what people are drinking, how that's changing over time, what's driving it. And, and that's where the qual component over the top of the yeah. diaries is really powerful. Um, we did a study here for one of the universities looking at um, the decision-making process kids go through when they're selecting where they study from yeah. year 11 through year 12 to starting uni. Um, we've done some work in healthcare looking at how people manage certain acute diseases, yeah. um, how they medicate, their frustrations, how they communicate, um, what they think of the, the channels they communicate with their doctors. Um, we've done some work in the um, B2B space looking yeah, okay. at tradesmen yeah. and how they buy different products and yeah. their, their frustrations. Yeah. And it's interesting, like you, you wouldn't think the mobile device would be a great way of researching B2B, yeah. but it actually we have really good success with Cause that. Because it's, it's there yeah. and... Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. just some examples. Yeah. So, do you so do you work with research agencies, or do you work with the the like the, the, the a combination, brand or depends on the situation? Yeah. Really. Yeah, a combination. So, um, I'd say probably three quarters of our work is working with brands, um, predominantly FMCG, retail, QSR, some financial services, and also some sports marketing. Yeah. Um, and then um, about a quarter of it's working with agencies where we basically provide our technology and support them um, in meeting their clients' needs. And we yeah. work with a combination of, of boutique agencies and global agencies. Yeah. So they go, we've got this particular need, yeah. like a diary or a platform like yeah. that, for example, uh, and, and this, this the MDI. What, what's the, what, is it a, got a particular name? or um, We call it the MDI research, mobile research platform. Yeah, okay. um, but the, the beauty of it is we can skin it um, and, and brand it in any way. So, for example, if we were working with, I don't know, um, you know Canter or yeah, TNS, yeah. We could brand the platform yeah, okay. for TNS. Yeah, yeah, okay. um, we, yeah, if we're working in the beverage space, we'll have it branded around beverages. If we're working in the retail space, we'll have it branded around yeah. retail. Yeah. Um, so often our clients have their own dedicated app. Yeah, yeah. Do you do much work where it's sort of crossing different geographic boundaries? Like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, think, yeah, yeah. So, so we do a, a lot of projects that look at, say, a combination of Southeast Asian and North Asian countries. Yeah. We, we do a significant piece of work in the QSA sp QSR space, which covers about 13 markets in Latin America and the Caribbean, yeah. so um, both um, Spanish-speaking and English-speaking markets. Um, so the, our platform is um, you know, adaptable to any language yeah. um, and proven in um, most Asian languages and most European languages. Yeah. So when you look at some of the, the trends and patterns coming out without revealing any commercial confidence, do you see kind of patterns of different countries, like the US is different to Australia, is different to Europe or anything like that? Do you, do you sort of, is it yeah. as simple as that? Or? I, I think response rates are probably higher in the US yeah. um, than Australia. I think mobile, certainly chat-based platforms work really well in Asia, you know, yeah. countries like Thailand, Korea, um, Indonesia, mm. which are very much chat, South Africa, mm. very much chat-based markets, um, but also here as well, because if you think about it, chat's the number one way people communicate. Yeah. Um, what we see is the purchasing drivers vary significantly between markets, like in, in markets like Australia and um, the US, for example, health and well-being is becoming a lot more important. Sustainability in impacting what people are buying. Yeah. Um, so you find that that is actually driving sales. Like, yeah, yeah, sales. yeah, definitely driving new categories. Yeah. Um, you know, if you look at things like the beverage market, you can see different categories have emerged in the last few years okay. in the water space, in the probiotic space yeah, okay. that that weren't there. Yeah. Um, and and those trends haven't taken off as much in the emerging markets yet. But no sugar is becoming a big thing there because of sugar taxes and, and yeah, the like. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, so scaling a bit—it's scaling a business from Australia. Um, we spoke to um, Ainsley from Quali last week yeah. about sort of scaling, a, 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 I guess, an insight platform. What, what have you kind of learnt as the, I guess, what your okay, your early kind of lessons on, or your early lessons or strategy? In yeah. how, how do you do that? Yeah, there's a couple of must not do's and a couple of must do's. 
I think the number one must not is don't try and be everything to everybody. Really, and, and certainly in the early days, we made that as a startup. You, you really try and get whatever you can yeah, to, to feed right. the machine, even if it's only a small machine. Um, but you very quickly we've been able to, well, over the journey, identify what our sweet spot is and focus on that sweet yeah, spot. Okay. Um, I think the critical. Do you think you're a tech? Is that, is that right? If you're a tech sort of startup, if, if you, well, I think any sort of any sort of, any yeah, sort yeah, of yeah. market research startup, it's very like if if you're going to go from market to market, you need to have and and scale. You need to have consistency in the value you're bringing to your clients. Yeah. And for us, it, it's measuring in the moment behaviour. Yeah, that that okay. is what our point of difference is and what our strong point is. You know. We capture images within our surveys, we chat to people and manage them and automate that management through our platform, and these projects can be extremely expensive, but because of our technology, we can do them quite yeah, cost-effectively. Okay. Yeah. So the key is that's our focus. Yeah. So rather than broadening your net, yeah. sort of tightening up your, your clarity about what you're yeah. about. Yeah, now, okay. now, sure, if we pick up a brand and ad tracker along the way, we'll still execute that, but it's not the primary focus of our communication and what we're training yeah. our people to do. Good, yeah. And, and if you've got a piece of technology, it's understanding how it works for the client, what its point of difference is, and making sure it's scalable, and, and I guess cost-effectively scalable. Like, um, so that is you know, how much cloud resource it needs, yeah. um, how easy it is to adapt from one client to another and white-label it, um, and also how easy it is to go from one language to another and manage that. And also, importantly, what else you can plug into it. So we can plug image management software into yeah, our platform. Okay. We can plug survey platforms into our platform. Um, and not try and build everything from scratch. Yeah. So, so we build our OMS, we build our app. We then plug in. There's a lot of good market research software out there. Yeah. And, and the other thing is making sure it's future-proof. A lot of companies in the past have, have made a mistake where they've anchored in a point of technology. Um, so a, a good thing, anchored in PC infrastructure yeah. as opposed to mobile infrastructure. We've been very careful to make sure the front-end of our platform, the consumer-facing end, is quite adaptable and changeable, yeah. and the back end will have the flexibility to go with those changes in consumer yeah, behaviour. Okay. Yeah, okay. And so on that sort of tech side, do you have in-house tech, or do you sort of do you partner um, and collaborate? How do you, how do you deal with that? And yeah, we're, we're, I'm, a, I'm a big believer in focus on what you're good at. Yeah. And um, so basically, we when we did our major development... We ran a, a very rigid competitive tender. Um, we decided to, to to do that development in Australia. Um, and you know, one of the great things about being a tech-based startup in Australia is some of the incentives that the government here through Austrade will give you. Um, so basically, we put together a shortlist of three developers um, and ended up going with one who we felt we had a strong strategic fit with. Um, and now work with that person and his team on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. But they're a separate entity, but all the IP and ownership of that sits with us. Yeah. So the bringing together the, the... Do you have any sense of... Or you probably, I'm sure you have got a sense, but how a researcher's mind thinks in your head, obviously you're an entrepreneur as well, and yeah. sort of researcher, entrepreneur fits with, say, a, a tech... Yeah, mind. They're obviously different minds. Yeah, and that took a lot of a lot of hours, and so probably the biggest investment, believe it or not, was in man hours, as opposed to investing in the um, program around hours. So us talking to them, making sure we had a shared vision, coming up with um, you know, proof of concept drawings, yeah. and and then coming up with a um, a beta version, playing with that. So there was a meeting of the minds. Yeah. And it's always evolving. We're, we're always looking at new modules, how to improve the user face. So it, it's a, a bit of an iterative process. Yeah. Um, involve, like, do you have a... Do you, um, having a, obviously right at the start you did, but sort of that vision of where you're heading? Do you get, like it, I wonder sometimes when we, some of these interviews are also just broadly that... Um, 
you have a vision and then the technology capabilities catches up so you can sort of do more. Yeah. So do you, you know, just necessarily share it, but do you, how, how do you, a business like yours that is like yeah. fundamentally a, a, a tech-based research agency? Well, it, it's a mobile-based research mobile, agency, yeah. I think. So our vision was to basically do, our initial vision was to do run market research communities on a platform that enables to do qual and quant. Yeah. Okay, so our platform enables us to do that. We run a very big market research community for a major FMCG company in South Africa and a, a few smaller ones around the world. Um, but out of that evolved a point of difference. Well, the qual and quant's point of difference, but our real point of difference now is to manage complex behavioural measurement studies where we can look at people's consumption behaviour in the moment yeah. um, and manage that in a cost-effective way. And that's become a real point of difference. Yeah. So, for example, and, and what we, we see is often that sort of methodology supersedes the old UNA. Yeah. You know, the old, let's do 15 focus groups, 60-minute yeah. uh, questionnaire. Like our, our, our rule of thumb is our, our diaries are, are typically two minutes. Yeah, okay. Um, but we can link everything together at a respondent level seamlessly. Um, so there's, we, we, we're very cognisant of how long people can pay attention. Yeah. We've done a lot of research on research in terms of when yeah. findings dissipate yeah. or attention dissipates and the impact on um, consumers. And we find that we can often more cost-effectively do a, a diary in the moment-based study for less cost than a traditional yeah, big quant okay. qual study. Yeah, yeah. But do you do you do you feel like you're I guess the tech bit you're you're constantly evolving? Yes, yeah, definitely. Or is it kind of like is there a vision kind of going five, ten years time we want to be blah? It's probably a bit of no. It, it's constantly evolving, and, and the platform has to have the flexibility to do that. Yeah. Because like we're at, our our interface at the moment is chat. Yeah. Chat isn't going to be the be all and end all, and arguably we need an interface that's going to work on um, a wearable or some other device yeah. um, as opposed to mobile phone. So we've made sure that we can separate the consumer interface from the back end yeah. and, and plug something new in. So it, it's, we're, we're cognizant we need to be flexible, but as a new opportunity presents itself or a, 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 we think that there's a potential tech solution that will increase the accuracy of our data collection, whether that be a barcode reader as opposed to using the camera, yeah. um, we then look at building it, that module or that interface into our platform. Yeah, okay. but, and it's, but it's iterative. It's an iterative yeah. process. As a, and I think anyone who tells you otherwise yeah, okay. is, you know, because you, you've seen what's happened in the last five years and how you run your business. Mm -hmm. There's right. no way you could have predicted that. Yeah, yeah okay. So can, like, are you looking at whether it's for your own business or just tech you're kind of fascinated by that you kind of think, yeah, that, that, that is likely to help us to better understand yeah. people moving forward? I, I think what fascinated me and what gave the birth to MDI was a fascination with the role the mobile device played in people's lives. And if you think we started MDI in 2013... Smartphones in Australia probably went mainstream around 2010. Mm. So we're, we're, we're right at the front end of that. But at the time, um, a number of our team, when we were at TNS, were running a project called Mobile Life, which looked at, it was like a UNA of mobile phone usage across mm -hmm. 50 or 60 markets. And that study and what we learnt in that study for me, started generating ideas, you know, this is the role this device is going to play in people's lives. Market research needs to move into this space. To move into that space, you need a platform that meets both qualitative and quantitative needs. Mm -hmm. And then the logical thing was, well, chat is the perfect way because you can deploy yeah. cards and surveys into chat and you can also do a lot of qualitative stuff. So our platform, we can do anything that you can do on WhatsApp, yeah. plus run focus groups. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's location enabled. We can validate with locations and all those sorts of things and also pull the data out very yeah, user-friendly okay. and then plug it into yeah. um, text analytics software, yeah. image software, yeah. whatever. But a lot of it's about what, what else you can plug into it, isn't it, really? What it is, you can yeah. add on rather than yeah. like fundamentally the front end. It's, it's, it, 
it, it evolves perhaps sort of, um, yeah, it's probably, I'm not, not slow, it's probably not the right term, but less less obvious sort of change, but it's behind, yeah. behind the scenes that things have been added yeah. on. For, for us, our IP sits in our research management system yeah. and, and how we utilise and interact that with the front end um, and the, the way that we've designed that to ensure we can plug things into it, whereas most tech-based companies will go and try and build something from scratch. You know, why would you build survey software, mm-hmm. as an example? Yeah. Yeah. Um, sure, we've worked to tweak the survey software and work with the developers of that software, but, but why would you go and build it? You know, why would you, if you were us, go and build text analytics software? Yeah. Um, so it's understanding, and that way you can bring the best of the best into your unique service proposition. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you, I, I guess one conversation that we've been having is maybe rather than setting up your, another, research, another research agency, maybe look at becoming more of a, a, a development company that offers to, to build something something different. Yeah. If you were talking to you know, younger researchers or younger professionals, what, what do you kind of see as some of the areas that, like... Like let's say let's say someone came and said, "I want to. I'm looking to do this change. I want to invest in me. What like what, do you, what are sort of the areas you would sort of yeah? Look, cool? look, I think yeah. There's a, a lot of noise around artificial intelligence, yeah. Um, and a lot of it's still unproven. Um, I think first of all, the the big red flag I'd have is if, if you want something that's going to work in the market research insight space you have to understand people and you have to understand how data works as a start point Mm. as opposed to get a piece of tech and try and force fit it back into that. So, you know, one one of the the first pieces of advice I'd give someone is make sure you understand the space you're targeting Mm. because I've seen a lot of companies come up with some great tech products but they don't necessarily fly in terms of answering the questions that clients have. Um, I think anything in image recognition, facial recognition, um, linking into solid data capture is going to be big. Um, And and that's where you don't necessarily... So if you've got a technology which, for example, can code facial expressions um, or can code or recognise brands in images... um, and link that into in the moment data capture. You've got a very powerful proposition. Yeah. Um, so it's it's anything that helps understand behaviour better, as opposed to just technology for technology's sake. Yeah. I wonder whether um, I had an article in the research news a couple months ago talking about how in Australia is a perfect one of the interviews we did with Christy Zilke talked about what a perfect place to run a business she's from the US and, but Ray Pointer said oh, we're, we're not as innovative as what we were 20 or 30 years ago and do you, because we're kind of basically it's an easy place and it's comfortable you get paid well and, and, and um, also I think our industry is quite inert here mm. like one, one of the challenges we have and we found it easier to sell business and bigger projects offshore at the outset than we did in Australia. Um, now, that might have been due to the fact I'd been out of the market for nine years. Um, but interestingly, my, my experience up to starting MDI was all in IT&T research. Now, IT&T makes up maybe 2% of our business. Yeah. Um, so that tells me something. <laughs> um, the, other, the other thing is I, I found here people were too concerned about their metrics potentially changing, um, adverse to taking a risk. Now, hey, the way we market to, the way we communicate with consumers has changed. The way consumers access information, the way they make purchasing decisions, the way they absorb and um, take in advertising and and messages has changed. Your metrics are going to change anyway. (laughs) So make sure you're measuring the right things. That's right. But it's also an interesting one of is putting a mirror up, a mirror up against Australia, whether it's the research industry or whether it's other sectors. Of are we are we as risk taking as what we'd like to think? And, and sometimes yeah. it maybe we're risk adverse and we're not yeah. we're not always as entrepreneurial as we'd like. So from a research sector side, we talk about um, and and it's not a bad thing about the the um, about. 
the privacy and quality control yeah. risk, which is which is a really critical part of our industry. But almost counterbalancing that, we almost just need to say, but are we being in, innovative and entrepreneurial it, as well? And are yeah. we thinking globally? Like it, it's interesting, and I think a couple of things. Like if you think back to when we started our career in the nineties, mm. the the godfathers, if you like, the founders of the industry were still around. Like I think Frank Small. Um, was was still around just before we yeah. started. Um, you know, people like Kevin Sharp, um, Max Yan. Oh, sorry, uh, yeah, Max Yan, Alistair Campbell mm. um, in the Melbourne industry. Um, Hoare and Will are up in That's Sydney. Right. Brian Sweeney, Comicaris. That's right, um, That's right. All, and, they, and they were often and, and, very much of a global. And, and and these guys all talk to each other. Yeah. Um, Sutherland. Yeah. And, and Bruce Smith, yeah. um, these guys, you know, founded, and then you go over to New Zealand, and you've got the Needscope guys, um, the thinking that was that was based on coming out of New Zealand as well. You look at you know Butch Rice and Yanni Hofmeyer in South Africa. You know, people were a lot more innovative in terms of their methodologies mm-hmm. and, and what they came up with. Um, and then there was a bit of a brain drain, I think, from Australia in particular. Yeah, okay. um, you know, a lot of people... If you go through Southeast Asia and, and through Asia, a lot of the, the senior people in the market research industry are still Australian. Yeah, okay. Um, and so a lot of that thinking went offshore. But also, our market is very different to the bigger markets in the world. Mm. And unless you understand how consumerism works in places like India and China, where the bulk of the world's population is, it's very ha- difficult to globalise your offer. Yeah, okay. and, and that's where, I guess, I had a unique position being having a role in a cu- for a couple of years looking at TNS's offer in emerging markets, being exposed to how those people use technology, mm-hmm. really helped formulate, I guess, some of the ideas we had behind MDI. Um, so I think the world got smaller... At the same time, Australia got more isolated. Yeah, okay. Yeah, just so culturally isolated in many ways. Culturally isolated. And it's quite a safe place. Yeah. And, and it's a big enough market to, you know, um, hold brands. And, and a lot of co- some companies have gone overseas with their Australian based offer and come back with their tail between their legs. Yeah. Um, and they're, they're very good agencies, but, you know, the Australian based offer potentially doesn't work from a pricing perspective. Um, there was no IP prevent, pre- protecting it. Um, or the fundamental consumer behaviour was different. They weren't measuring the right things. Yeah. Um, just, we'll, we'll kind of, um, we've got a bit more to cover, but we'll close it off. Um, how, how many, you've got, how many kids? Six. Six, six <laughs> kids. So when you... When you You've got the varying ages, obviously, but when you advise your children, if you do, about how to have a successful life or a successful career, if they ask, they're probably like my kids and they don't always ask, but what would you say? What's the, what's the, what's yeah. the key? What's your lessons, your wisdom? I think don't get too caught up. I hope my um, 17-year-old doesn't hear this, um, but don't get too caught up in school, first of all. School's about an experience, um, even if you don't do too well in your final year of school, you can change what you want to do. And yeah. you know, my oldest son's a good example. You know, he scraped into university and now he's studying IT and law yeah. because he you know, learnt. So it's about life experience, yeah. first of all. The other thing is go out and, and get some work experience um, because universities don't actually teach what we're doing yeah. and don't... The, the academic... Um, literature and the academics themselves haven't, particularly in business-related and um, uh, um, consumer behaviour, behaviour-related from a commercial perspective, haven't actually caught up. Yeah. So don't make sure you get out there and get some research ex- or get some work experience. You know, um, do an internship. Yeah. Um, go and spend some time in office. Work out what you're doing. Don't yeah. be scared to change direction. Yeah. Um, and don't be too concerned if you leave school and, and don't know what you want to do. Mm. Do you think there's more opportunity now than there's been before or that it's different forces at play? I think, there, I think there's more pressure on kids. Um, I think and a lot of that, and, and we're aware of the impact of that pressure. 
And I think technology has brought on a lot of that pressure. You know, there's, there's good and bad from technology. I think people are a lot less social. People don't do what we're doing now. People don't talk as yeah. much. Um, and, and I think that's a really bad thing. Um, but if you're able to understand technology and the way that helps and enables people, there's a lot more opportunity for you. And it's you don't necessarily have to go and do a leading degree to land those opportunities. I know when I hire people, I hardly ever look at their academic transcripts. Yeah, okay. It's about how they communicate, how they're using technology, yeah. and and some how they they go around problem solving. That's more important to mm-hmm. me. In fact, with MDI, I don't think I've looked at any of our employees' academic transcripts. Yeah, okay. So yeah, and it's, an, it's been such an interesting decade, really. You just I talked about how like the mobile phone, smart or the smartphone, iPhone, really only probably a little a little over ten years, sort of since it kind of really was, was, was launched, and that's fundamentally changed things, social media and all of that's a, a, a big change. But it's almost like sometimes like it's changed education, it's changed yeah. how we absorb media, all the sort of the... the um, but even our day-to-day communications, yeah. like how we keep up with people around the world. Mm-hmm. Um, it's increased our social sphere but also limited our social yeah. capabilities. But I wonder if we get with like, almost like the, the next phase that we almost... We deal with it better. <laughs> it's just been I think it's so. just I, been an explosion of almost. I, I keep on thinking it's going to slow down. Like if you think when we started, like back in '93, we were installing Caddy and well, like I didn't have FTP into Sydney or whatever. For my like first that. job, I didn't even have a computer on my desk. I was yeah. handwriting. That's right. And and tabs were coming out of a dot matrix print, exactly. printer. We had PAs. Um, now, if you think about the, the change we went through with PCs coming on board, laptops, yeah. and now mobile phones, it has to slow down at some stage. Mm-hmm. And you're right, we have to use it better. And, and I guess that's the, the, what I keep challenging myself with is how can we adapt and use what we've got to get better information to inform our clients' decision-making processes? Mm. Cool. All right. Thanks you so much, James. That, that was, was really a lot great. of fun. Yeah, good on you. Thank you. To comment on today's show, do so via Square Holes or myself on Twitter or your favourite social media. You can find me at Jason Dunstone. For more on today's show, other episodes and articles on all things human-centred, customer-focused, innovation and entrepreneurship, go to squareholes.com forward slash blog. Thank you for listening. Uru. Uru.